1: Turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.
2: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. This week, it's me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton, and Raham Khan. We are talking to Hannah Ewans, author of Fangirls, about what it's like to be a teenager in love. Uh, Plus, it's an Edinburgh special. Callie Beaton comes in to talk to us about her new show, What It's Like to Be a Woman Over 50. And do you remember Jordan Waller? He was on the show a few months ago. He was brought up by lesbian parents and he was on a search for his sperm donor dad. Well, he found him. He tells us what happened next.
1: Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one prepares. Badass
3: Women's Hour excel with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two,
2: three, four! We are fully fangirling our next guest. Hannah Ewens is the author of Fangirls, a new book looking at the culture of young girls and their obsession with musicians. Why do they get so excited? Hannah, welcome to Fan Women's Hour. Thank you for having me.
4: So tell us what, uh, for a start, what are you a fangirl of? Oh, well, if you look to the last chapter, you will know that my obsession is Courtney Love. I Aww. absolutely love her. What a cool person to be a fangirl of. That's very. Do you know Courtney Love, when I was working
2: at The Guardian, once set the fire alarm off by smoking in the toilets? <gasps> True story. Exactly. That's
4: what you get from a woman like that. Yeah. She's just simply iconic. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about the book. Um, so, the book is basically. I think if you read the whole thing, you'll get everything you need to know about female music fans. I interviewed hundreds of girls and women um, about what it means to to them to be a fan. Um, And, yeah, I think it it goes in a lot of depth. Why were you interested in this topic? Well, I have always been a fan and that's kind of underpinned my entire career because i do a lot of music journalism a lot of culture writing um i've always been a fangirl to be honest even as a journalist i think those two things actually kind of do go hand in hand a bit of like a professional fangirl um (laughs) and i was i kind of got to 25 and i really wanted to write a book and this just this idea just sort of came to me and I knew that I didn't want it to be, like, a personal essay book or, like, a memoir. I just wanted... I wanted to actually speak to fans and really, really understand the culture and how it's changed. What is the driving thing for young girls? Do
2: you think? Why, because it does seem to be about 12, 13 that that obsession for something, whatever it is, kicks in. Where does that come from?
4: You know, that's just, like... It's that drive where you're trying... You have that first impulse to work out who you are and you're kind of grappling around for anything. And before you can really find out who you are, you have to, you know, try on other people. And I think that's one thing that really came through in all the interviews that I did. It's like, women are music fans. They're fans of the music. But also there was not a single woman or girl that I spoke to that wasn't also obsessed with the musician themselves and their kind of own specific relationship that they have with the musician. Um, And I think that's pretty interesting. Um, And that always kind of stems from that, like those teenage years when you're just really (laughs) looking for like, who, uh, who am I? did you because you
3: interviewed women and girls across the globe right
4: so you were looking at lots of different cultures did you
3: see was is it like is like fangirldom like one dimensional across the globe or were there different cultures that seemed to have a a different uh, approach to their fangirling like were there any themes like that that came out
4: um i did find it really surprising how global it is um i don't think i honestly don't think it is that different anymore with social media it might have been Might have been like forty years ago, Um, but regard. I think the one thing that comes out through the book and across all the different chapters is that all the threads are, all the threads of obsession and love and care. They all follow through. So it doesn't matter if you were like a sixteen-year-old girl, you know, a Beatles fan or an Elvis fan or a Frank Sinatra fan, or whether you're, you know. A fan of Bieber or someone like that, or I don't know, or a rock fan or a pop fan, all these girls. There are so many similarities between all of all of these different girls. Hannah, you say
5: in the book that it's um we're not given credit to the fangirls. And I I I can completely relate to that because I have these two young girls, much older than 12 to 13. Uh, age range but i think that they make the stars bigger than they actually are so it's it's about them actually for example the sean mendes thing shipping them to shipping them with someone as well but they actually make the star much bigger is is it because it's something that they sort of want to be that the the star is actually embodying something that they can't express and so the
4: star is expressing it for them it's like you know they're fantasizing that it's them Oh definitely um there are a couple of chapters in the book actually about sexuality and I kind of go into how um how girls are obviously incredibly horny and you know like really fancy these musicians but also so much of that impulse is coming from the fact that they want to be that person be that person um and that's the same whether it's you know they're standing like a a male musician or a female and um whether they're gay, like a gay teenager or they're straight, like that's something that's just so universal. Mm-hmm. Do you? R- because I think it's sometimes
5: you see these young girls so at, at the concerts, and mm. and you can't imagine that this girl uh, would fancy something. So I, I mean that the stars are very overt and very flashy and, and and sort of out there. But the girl seems very very sort of you know um, what's the right word? But but not that outrageous yeah. looking herself. So maybe it's sort of the oh inner... you think they look really yeah. timid,
4: but they're actually like really ferocious inside. Yeah. And yeah. That, you know yeah, they're at these shows because I say fantasy on screen. yeah Yeah.
3: is there Mm. is there an aspect of fangirling or having that obsession with somebody that is actually unhealthy or is it part of our development as human beings did you look into like the psychology of it at all
4: yeah um I think in the beginning that was something that I was very aware of like I wanted the book to be extremely well-rounded I didn't want it to be this kind of bland, celebratory thing um, that washed over certain areas. Um, and that's why I thought it was really important to have bits like the sexuality um, the sexuality stuff in there. Um, but actually, I really did, I really researched and I really did interview so many different girls and there were only a handful where I kind of thought, you know, this is like potentially going slightly too far and I I really think that actually girls are especially now maybe like so self-aware um and also have so many different distractions in their life um that I think yeah I think they've got a handle on it isn't
5: it a a good thing for them as well if they can sort of live their fantasy out in a way it can be helpful through whatever they're going through so it can actually be do do you think it it helps people through issues like maybe certain sort of you know just mild depression as well just to have somebody to who they feel a sense of belonging to
4: yeah absolutely there's a chapter in the book about mental health um and I speak about my own mental health as a teenager and the fact that I used to listen to really depressing emo um, and the lyrics would be you know it'd be stuff about you know funerals and heartbreak and Darling, we all did. We all been there, and that was this kind of space where even if you've not been through those specific ridiculous melodramatic experiences, because you're like thirteen year old girl and you think you're really, you think you're really depressed because like you know your dad didn't take you to a party or something, (laughs) and like you know you can really immerse yourself in it. And I think that music and fantasy can kind of really allow you to actually embody and feel those feelings rather than shut them out. And that's something that I think really gets patronized or, um, or looked over in music. Um, you know, it's kind of a cliche like this band saved my life or this album saved my life. But yeah. genuinely like
3: do, right?
2: these are yeah.
4: these fandoms are like a lifeline to so many of the girls that I spoke to. Mm. Anna, thank
2: you so much for coming in and chatting <laughs> to us. Um, very quickly. Emma, who did you fangirl
3: when you were young? Um, Nick Kershaw. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who that is. Always the him. hair thing, Nick the Kershaw? hair thing. I yeah. oh, won't we'll let the sun go down. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me. I
5: oh, Okay, so Awkward. we should have asked, actually, Hannah, was there anything wrong with me? Well, I know there was, but I never was a fangirl. You're yeah. never a fangirl. Are you thought. still
3: a fangirl, though?
5: Of who, Nick Kershaw? No, <laughs> I, just remember I mean, the hairstyle. no. I mean,
2: I don't think anybody's a fangirl of Nick We're, Kershaw. Um, right? No, hopefully nobody's a fangirl. Well, if you are a fangirl of oh, Nick it. Kershaw, <laughs> congratulations and well done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, oh. your your book, Fangirls, is out now. It is a fascinating read for anyone interested particularly if you've got teenage daughters and you don't understand what's going on with them i yes. feel like this is going to help a lot <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming in
3: the vampire strikes back badass women's hour excel on talk radio
2: her show is called invisible but she is absolutely not invisible tonight because she's here with us hello callie hello
6: it's hard to prove i'm visible even this is an audio medium <laughs> but that's your vouch for me i that promise I'm here. i promise you're here uh, so this is your—is this your first show up to Edinburgh? No, it's my third show. Um, I've done—I did one two-hander with Catherine Bohart, then mm-hmm. I did a solo show called Super Cali Fragile Lipstick. Oh, oh I know. Lovely. I so wish I'd kept that so title for good. a better show. Uh, and then this year, uh, so this is my second solo show. Uh, yeah, Invisible. And so this is kind of based on the idea that after a certain
2: age, women become. Invisible? Is that right? That's
6: a theory. So this, this absolutely, as you may imagine, counters that theory. But there was a guy, a B-list French celebrity at the start of this year. Do you remember that guy saying, a guy called Yann Moi, and he said that women at 50 are invisible yeah. and he is a 50-year-old man and he went on to say he would never date a woman at 50 and all this and that women's bodies at 50 are awful. He then got spammed with loads of um, boobs and bottoms by every beautiful, hot 50-something the world over, of whom there are many, and he had to put out a plea saying, please stop spamming me with your <laughs> toned body parts. Yeah. Um, so I turned 50 not long after he'd said that, and I was already working on the show, which was all about don't underestimate or assume yeah. anything about mm. women like me. And then when he said that, I was it had a few different titles, and I was like, yes that's the title um, and it also has a sort of story arc in iceland that the country not the shop and it's um which is obviously white and easy to get camouflaged in so there's also a sort of parallel there's a kind of parallel storyline so it's, it's all about so my my personal belief is not that women turn invisible at 50 um and it's all kind of a playful look at that as the way into the show really because mm. you had a bit of a sort of i don't want to call it a
2: midlife crisis it was not a midlife rethink and you came to comedy later in life, is that right?
6: I did, yes. So I started comedy when I was 45. Um, I've always worked in, um, in television and most of the time in comedy. And I got to know, um, through working at Comedy Central in the US, I worked for them for many, many years, I got to know the late, great Joan Rivers. And oh, wow. she, uh, sorry for the huge name drop. Well, I'm not sorry, because no, I wouldn't be doing her. it otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but she um, I got to know her and she saw me do some sort of presenting and and she said to me, you know, you should take up stand-up. And I said, you know, Joan, I'm 45. I've, I'm a single parent of two kids. I've got a big day job. It's too late. And she said, "Kelly, I'm 81. You're going to look back. <laughs> at this and you'll know you were in the thick of it and you'll think why didn't I so actually you know talk about badass women to have someone like Joan Rivers and you know what it's actually a really good thing for us all to think because at 45 I did think that maybe some doors were shut to me And they weren't. And now at 50, I think 45 was really young. No doubt at 55, I think this was young. (laughs) So let's always kind of remember that there's stuff we could be doing now and we won't ever want to look back and think,
3: why didn't I? But then where do you go from that, though? Because it's one thing for somebody to go, I know you want to do comedy and you seem like you're quite good, but writing a whole stand-up show, like there is a... To me, Mm -hmm. it's... It's, it's on lots of different levels. One, you've got to have material that's good. Yep, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> Two, you've got to be able to deliver it. Yeah. You know, you've got to stand up and, and you know, act that role. Yeah. So there's lots of facets yeah. to being. It's not just a, or is it? It's not just a, no. I'm going to do stand up now. No,
6: it? I thought I really did have a sort of thought that I'd be great at it. I thought, oh, I'm sure this is just for me. And like everyone, I realised through starting out at it just how ungreat at it I was. I'm now five years in and it's a bit like, you know doing any kind of apprenticeship or going to the gym you know you can't sort of say i'm going to go run a marathon if you can't if you can't do sort of 1k yeah. and literally you i'm still learning you know but i would say 5 years in this is the thing i'm absolutely the most proud of and and i would say i'm starting to get the hang of it now yeah. and it is exactly the things you said um i've always been the stage craft and the delivery's always been easier for me because i've spent my life on stages and performing and presenting <laughs> Topics have always been easy for me because I've been kicking around so blooming long. I've got lots of (laughs) things to talk about. But the key thing is how to actually write write clever gags. And honestly, anyone you look at who gets up on stage and is a comedian you love and who looks like it's effortless and it's like falling off a log... So much will have gone into every minute of that effortless performance. Could you get other
3: people to write your material? Because I, I I see stand up, and now I'm talking to you, and I'm like, actually, if you were really good at delivery and you had like a couple of good jokes, could you just work with a really clever writer to to come up with the with a you, set for Edinburgh? Or whatever? You
6: could. I think the problem, and again, if if people who see my show will see that. It's such a personal story, and the types of things I would say. So that you know, if Michael McIntyre wanted to write for me, I'm sure he's dying to. Uh, but if he <laughs> any if second he, now, the call is coming in. It's definitely coming in while I'm on air. But he, he, it wouldn't be the right gag for me. Mm, so yeah, right, I've okay. got some brilliant people working with me on the show in terms of a fantastic director, producer. I've absolutely chatted with other comedians and said, look, I'm really trying to come up with something funny about this. But honestly, the key to being a good comedian is actually finding your voice, and that's it really doesn't work if someone writes your material so sadly. no. But yes. that was my question, that
5: at 45, did you not actually feel braver than you would have, say, when you were 30. I think you've become a little bit badass just because you're... Just because you put the
6: hours in on the the planet. (laughs) Yes, and and I
5: suppose you have tons of content.
6: Yeah, I definitely got the content. (laughs) I think, I say this on stage, a lot of people who, the reason I do stand up, is because I find life on stage much easier than life off stage. So I'm actually much shyer than you would think (laughs) and much more awkward sometimes than you would think. And very much, I feel, you know, imposter syndrome rage is very large in me, as it does, I know, in in a Mm. lot of people, men and women. And so I think I couldn't have done it when I was younger. I absolutely would not have dared to do it. But that doesn't mean I'm brave now you know i i'm gonna get found out any minute now could be tonight could be be here (laughs) i I
5: meant that you care less as you grow older at least i i feel like that. yeah
6: although you look i went ask how old you are but you do look (laughs) okay well you look about 27 i know again brilliant (laughs) thing to reference on the radio
5: (laughs) fantastic but But, but, i'm also very comfortable with announcing my age now and people but but when when you say you have so much obviously you know that you have to it has to sound like it's coming from you but i suppose the imposter syndrome is perfect
6: for performers like yourself. Well, there's got to be a reason you do it because it's such a high-risk job and nobody <laughs> goes very many gigs without a really bad gig. And you never know, you know, I'm doing one after this, it could go really badly. I have no <laughs> idea the material I know normally works, but it might not. So I think something's got to repel you to do it. And yes, perhaps, um, as, as someone who feels like an imposter, you're always thinking you've got to keep trying the next thing. Certainly I'll never think I'm better than I am. Maybe that's a blessing. I occasionally see a comic who seems to think they're amazing and maybe aren't as good as they think. I'll, I'll always be the other way around, thinking what could I do next. But this show is t- talking about sort of brave. It, I feel what I'm saying in this show and how I'm saying it is brave and has taken me daring to dig quite deep so it's been quite a quite a thing to to write this show what are some of the key themes people will be hearing about if they come and see you Overall, it's definitely a sort of subversion of what women like me should be doing and, indeed, what people might assume about any women. Uh, there's a dating theme. The um, story arc is about um, a, a, probably one of the most extreme being dumped situations that anyone... <laughs> I won't say what it is, but I, most people are like, oh, my God, that's the worst one I've ever had. And I do go into some of the other bad ones that uh, that I've had. Uh, so there's a bit of a sort of dating uh, theme in it. And, actually, it's all about the fact that I feel... Time into what you said, more visible now than I did in my 20s. I wasn't a classically attractive, hot, everyone fancied 20-something, wasn't in my 30s, it's taken me this long to grow some self-esteem and be less visible, uh, be more more visible, less invisible. So it's kind of the opposite of what you might think about the title.
2: Do you find when you're on stage, you are, like, that's about as visible and vulnerable as you can get stand-up comedy. Do you like... Being watched with the audience. Do you like, do you kind of want the audience? Do you want the spotlight? A little bit. Like, do you want the spotlight and then dark and pretend nobody's there and you're kind of talking to an empty room? Or do you like a bit of engagement? No, I like that. I really
6: like engaging with the audience. I do a lot of emceeing in the clubs around the country and I I really enjoy emceeing. So I love crowd work. And I keep being told for my Edinburgh show because I love jumping off into things that happen. <laughs> and I keep being told my, by my director that's a great thing to do a bit, but you've got an hour's show, you're going to have to not do it too much. So I, I love a bit of crowd work. So um, And actually, I do think it's more insecurity that makes me want to be seen than yeah. that I think I'm so awesome, you need to see this, guys. It's a sort of needing to keep proving something to myself. Yeah. It's the opposite of um, kind of arrogance. It's yeah. the constant need to sort of Push see myself. if they're smiling and see yeah, if they're laughing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely fueled by self doubt and self loathing rather so than. All I want it. to know is,
5: <laughs> when you're looking at the crowd, and what, is it, what has it done
6: to your love life? have the options increased you in being uh, a celebrity or being the op- scared the, of you the options uh, the, the young the young uh, lover options have increased yeah. I will be honest <laughs> uh, but I think that's more of, I didn't realise uh, I don't know how far I can go the into under- this at uh, this <laughs> hour uh, yeah sometimes even younger than that uh, but they uh, So I, I say in the show that I've got a rule that I will only date someone who is uh, m- my son's age plus 10 and my son's 22 so I think that's a fair rule <laughs> yeah, and I have yeah, that rule yeah. because I broke that rule and that wasn't uh, that, 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 was, that was awkward uh, so so, um, yeah, I knew when they kept listening to Avicii, I was like, oh, this is not my... This isn't for me. Uh, so, yeah, I would say the opportunities with younger people because you get young comedy audiences. But, honestly, that's another misnomer about, as you know, I, I don't know what your personal life is like, but women at 50... We, it's, we're not single because we can't attract anyone. We're single because we haven't found the right person just not to be single, single for, choosy. which is yeah. it? Yeah. So I think whenever people... Um, but that's interesting. Yeah. Do
5: you think single younger men... Uh, do not find you as intimidating because
6: I think maybe... younger men are so delighted that I'm not trying to get married or have a baby, yeah. and that I, might,
0: <laughs> that I might know my way around a man—not oh, yeah. to put
6: too fine a point oh, yeah. on it. But so I think yeah. they're, I think that, yeah, they're, yeah. Really I mean, I, they're up for it, and I think that the thought that I'm not going to be hammering Literally them really well, like pushing yeah. them into a commitment, and <laughs> yeah. being really careful to remember I'm not on stage uh, on a Saturday night here. But yes, I think it's yes, I think I've probably overshared, oh. but yes, it's, it's fine. I'm doing fine. Don't feel sorry for me. <laughs>
3: How receptive are men to your to your topics? Because notoriously you hear that you know uh, women aren't as funny as men, and you know when we're when you've you got female that, comi- yeah. comics. But now I feel like there's lots of female comics coming through that are like yourself, and you're you're telling you know female stories, yeah. aren't you, about your life? And how well do you connect with the men in the audience? Do you think they? They enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the,
6: the thing I would say that you learn really early on as a comedian is never to assume it is your room or it isn't your room. Mm. So it's really easy to go in and think, oh, these people won't like me, oh, this is a home crowd. So, yeah, the feedback I get and the kind of fans I have are a really broad range. I, lots and lots of women my age um, do love the show. It's a sort of slam dunk for them. But lots of younger women really love the show because they're like, oh, my, I hadn't really thought about what what I might be doing and like... 10, 15, 20 years. And loads of guys really like the show, yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely really broad appeal because the stuff I'm talking about they are kind of totally universal themes it's just my take and it's That's really true. just my take on life no one wants to be pigeonholed or stereotyped do they and all i'm doing is saying this is my version of kicking back on that and everyone will have their version of it so and, and it's and it's um yeah there's 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 some very universal themes and some things that people might not hear anywhere else i'll say no <laughs> more than
2: that <laughs> okay i think it sounds fantastic if people want to come and see it where are you when are you i'm
6: on at the assembly assembly george square in edinburgh from the uh, 31st of july is my first show and i run right through until the 26th of august every day at 10 past five apart from the 13th of august just have to add that one in
2: wonderful thank you so much for coming fantastic Callie
6: Beaton,
0: badass women's hour excel on talk radio she'll get you talking
2: there may be some offensive language so oh. apologies in advance My um, our next guest Jordan Waller actor comedian hello welcome to the show <laughs> thank you very much for
7: playing Will Young for
2: <laughs> really nothing appreciate to do with us our like, producer I was I that was bad, why are we it, why are we playing this particular Wills yes. Young song? And it's because it's called Who Am I? Very it's good. just using the question in a very different way that we're gonna use it from now on. Jordan, welcome back to Bad Atmosphere. <laughs> Thank on you this very hour. much for having
7: me back. It's wonderful.
2: I, it's so You've to be, moved, haven't you? We yeah, have, look, it's much it's more fancy here. Isn't it? gone yeah. It's gone it? very professional, yeah. hasn't yeah, it? I <laughs> know. It was
7: in a shed before, wasn't
2: it? <laughs> I mean it felt <laughs> like it didn't it? it was basically a teenage boys' bedroom before. That's where we were for many years. But now now we're in the the palace um, Jordan last time you came in you told us all about your comedy show which you had just written you were just about to start performing yes. about being the son of lesbian parents and a sperm donor baby and setting out to try and work out who your dad was
7: I did indeed. (laughs) I did indeed. And I I performed that show uh, to to a sellout run and five star reviews, which is great. Thank you very much. And and now I've taken to Edinburgh. um, And it's got a new title, uh, which Mm -hmm. is Son of... D, and the D uh, stands for a pejorative term for a lesbian that what? rhymes with bike,
3: which is very opposite because
7: um, that's often where they're found. Um, and uh, it tells the story of uh, my life. I'm Like you said, I'm a, I'm a sperm donor baby like Jesus, and um, I was raised by uh, wonderful women, uh, lesbian mothers. And after having lost one, uh, I went on a journey to try to track down my sperm donor father. And since we last spoke... I have. Oh, oh.
5: no. Yes, congratulations. I have. Well, you say congratulations. <laughs> well, that's a very interesting. And you on the quest.
3: So you're I was like, right. can, we, can we celebrate that? Because that's not, uh, there's, yeah, I don't think we can always assume that's a positive. Thing, well, that's right?
7: exactly the point. No, and you're right to say congratulations. Well, I mean, because you were like, it was
3: your quest. So you.
7: And I think that's how yeah, many people. You achieved, yeah. it, it. Absolutely. Mm. But actually, in achieving my quest of meeting him, and I've also met two um, sperm donor siblings who are called Dibblings. Uh, <laughs> technically I think that's the technical technical tech? we call each other dibblings here yeah, we've got a, we've got a whatsapp group that says dibblings Dibbling. so it's got it's got a sort of sperm emoji next to it um and uh, but it was interesting because um i thought it would be congratulations but actually having met him uh he's a lovely guy um and we met in a sort of uh, in a pub and, and we had a, a, a long conversation yeah. as you do yeah, yeah we're two blokes aren't we and um why well, he's a really nice guy um he's just a bloke and that was the amazing yeah. thing about meeting him. I mean, having grown up, you know, constantly thinking that I had some sort of lack or hole at the mm. centre of my life, um, you know, he wasn't a, a Nobel laureate or a Roger yeah. Federer. <laughs> Sadly,
2: I Sadly. Mean, we, exactly. we're all hoping for that. I mean, we are all our dad, Roger really, Federer, yeah. of
7: course. But um, yeah, so he wasn't that, and uh, and it didn't actually solve any of my problems, which was the most amazing thing about the whole journey, and it's what the show explores.
5: Did you expect to kind of feel this sort of like bond immediately as you sit? Opposite him in a, in a pub.
7: I thought it was going to be full on Davina McCall. I thought yeah. she might come in with cameras actually. Yeah. Um, and I thought, yeah, I thought I'd understand so myself. So none of that
5: emo kind yeah. of stuff. I now know where my
7: nose comes from. It
5: wasn't disappointing. It's a nice, it's a nice nose.
7: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's all, thanks to Daddy. Um,
7: but uh, but yeah, while it, while he was a nice guy, it didn't it didn't solve those probing existential questions. And part of the reason that I want to show the show in its new iteration um, is to say, you know, to anybody who might not know their father or might not know their mother or their biological parents or their origins anyone who's been adopted or doesn't even have a good relationship with their parents and that's practically all of us to a certain extent that in no way you are you lacking if you don't have that in your life Mm. actually you 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 are created yes by two zygotes but you're made by the people who are in your life and i'm very lucky because badass women's hour i was made by some brilliant bloody brilliant women Mm. um and that's
3: they probably checked the nose out first
5: do you think they did <laughs> no they can't
7: unfortunately. I, don't know, I don't know how old
3: do you have a relationship with the with the, your biological father then or not just the just the dibblings
7: so, so it's very it's in very early stages um and uh I, i've met him twice now um but he comes from a very different world to me. Yeah. And I would dare say it's a patriarchal one, whereas I come from yeah. an incredibly oh, right. matriarchal one. So it doesn't, make, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me. I don't find an awful lot of common ground in terms of experience. Whereas with my dibblings, I mean, we have lived through exactly the same thing. So oh, we wow. get each other. And we're yeah. the only ones who really understand um, n- that you know, perhaps it wasn't uh, the end of the quest. You know, it wasn't, mm. it, it wasn't those answers completed. And that's what's so lovely about knowing them. Two girls... As well I've been mm. surrounded but they are absolutely wonderful and i'm and it's been an absolute blessing having them in my life also meeting him has been interesting. it just hasn't filled that hole at the center of my life, which is what the show's about, which is actually the loss of my, my do mother. you
2: think kind of having that realization which is you haven't kind of filled this hole that was there, and has that led you to kind of i guess m- move on to the next stage of grief or has it allowed you to process something about your mother's death death differently?
7: It's a really, really interesting question. Um, And I think it's, weirdly, the one thing that I never felt was anger. Mm. Um, And I know that 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 is a stage of grief, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah,
5: I don't know what. Yeah, there's lots. There's there's lots.
7: But that was the one thing I never had. And the strange (laughs) thing about meeting him was that uh, I was angry. I was angry because he wasn't her. Mm. Um, and uh, the poor guy. I mean, again, I will say he's absolutely lovely, uh, but you know he could never reach the pinnacles of her, of Dawn, my my, my late mother. And it, it it genuinely made me really angry that she left. Um, and that was for the first time I, I I'd had that emotion. So do
5: you think the quest was to fill that missing space of a parent?
7: One hundred percent, without a doubt. And that was you know.
5: But you see, I lost my mother a couple of years ago okay. and, and actually I appreciate her more now. I yes. mean we have a far more comfortable relationship now that she's gone. Right, no, okay. I can't but it's everything that now I understand her um her as a human being because when they're alive you just see them as a parent and you can be very unforgiving i
7: totally understand what you mean and in retrospect obviously you can you can really you can create a narrative that makes a lot more sense of them i still don't understand i mean how, how long ago did you lose yours two years ago so same as mine mm. i'm I'm not well you've you've you, you're way ahead of me i have to say because i still can't quite understand her i wish i could um I but I,
5: Well, I'm much older than you as well. So much older and wiser. You'll get a there. A <laughs> <laughs> you are
7: wiser. You? You wise You'll there get there. Soon, You'll get I hope there. so. I just, no, it's, it's very much a process. It's mm. still, you know, and, and I'm not trying to...
5: Things that I didn't understand about her when she was alive, I understand them now. So, so things mm. that I might have been judgmental about. Right. while she was around. I can now understand being in almost the same age group when she, when I was growing up. So. I see, I
7: understand. So well, you I hope I can get, get there. there. No, yes, that's useful, you to, hear. Will. That's you useful will. to hear from you. Sir,
5: yeah, sure. it, it, it is. I, I think you can never truly get over a loved mm. one's death.
7: No, no you don't.
2: Jordan, um, for anyone who wants to see the show, and having had you on twice now, I can just guarantee it's going to be the best show. You're not going to want to so miss fine. it. <laughs> Where is it and when is it happening?
7: So we're doing a preview at the Etcetera Theatre Camden next Friday, which I believe is the 26th of July. And then it's at, and the White Belly in uh, Edinburgh, 1st to the 11th of August, uh, and that's at 8pm.
2: Fantastic, Joan want well, thank you so much for coming in and updating us on your incredible story and sharing it with so us. So much, love happens. chatting Lovely. to you.
7: One, two, three, four!
2: This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Ms. Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour, HR, um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.